Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is now August the 18th, 2023. The Orioles are 74-47 and on the season. It was disappointing to see them lose two out of three to the San Diego Padres. But on the other hand, Padres starting pitchers Michael Waka and Blake Snell, who pitched the final two games of the series, are having good seasons. And, you know, the Padres do have a good offense despite their lackluster record for the season. So even with that series loss in the books, the Orioles still have a two-game AL East lead. One problem, of course, the offense has really disappointed over the course of the West Coast trip that the Orioles have made so far. They have only scored 17 runs through the six games that have been played. So, you know, the Orioles are fortunate to be three and three in those six games when the offense has done that poorly. And, you know, let's keep in mind, there have been some tough starting pitchers that have been uh, that have been there for the Orioles to face. In addition to Waka and Snell, they also had to face Seattle's Luis Castillo and George Kirby. And by the way, Mariners pitcher Bryce Miller and Padres starting pitcher Yu Darvish are not too bad either. So yeah, those are the six starting pitchers the Orioles have faced on this series, so on this trip so far. And the three individual games that they've lost all are annoying in different ways, but you know what? Overall, three and three in this little patch of games is okay. So what's left for the Orioles from here? There are 41 games left to be played for the 2023 Orioles. They have seven games remaining 
against the Boston Red Sox. Four games each against the Guardians and Rays. Three games remaining against all of the following teams. Athletics, Blue Jays, Rockies, White Sox, Diamondbacks, Angels, Cardinals, Astros. Two games versus the Nationals. Put that all together. 20 of the 41 remaining Orioles games, so less than half, just slightly, are games coming against teams currently within three games of a playoff spot or in a playoff spot. They've got another seven games against teams that are below 500 but have kind of been in the race. Uh, That would be, to me, the Guardians and Angels. Uh, And they've got 14 games coming against teams that are out of it entirely. The Orioles are going to play their final six games at home, although that does include two versus the Nationals, who I count them as an out-of-it team, but they are above 500 in the second half so far, so don't sleep on them. That is going to be a theme of this podcast, although the Orioles have some many games against teams that have been bad. You can't sleep on anybody. So, okay, the Orioles, they're trying to stay ahead of the race. The Rays have 39 games left to play, so there's still two more games that are kind of quote-unquote make-up days for the Orioles. Um, The Rays had fewer off days than the Orioles over the course of the first half, and so the Orioles have two more games left to play on days where the Rays have off. There is August the 28th versus the White Sox, as well as September 18th when the Orioles are in Houston to play the Astros. So those are the two days where... The Orioles will, quote-unquote, catch up in games played in the standings. Uh, it's going to be a nice bonus if they can win at least one of those games. They, When I started noting this, the Orioles had four games to make up, and they so far won the first two, quote-unquote, make-up games. So the Rays remaining have six games each against the Angels and Blue Jays, five games against the Red Sox, four against the Orioles and Mariners, and three against each of the Rockies, Yankees, Guardians, and Twins, with two against the Miami Marlins. Six of the final eight games to be played by the Rays this year are going to come against the Toronto Blue Jays. So you put all of that together, and 24 of the 39 remaining Rays games are against teams that are currently within three games of a playoff spot, They have 12 additional games against teams that are not terribly far below 500 and only three games against a team that's completely out of it, which to me is there for them, the Colorado Rockies. So, you know, the Orioles, they have an easier road than the Rays, which doesn't mean they're guaranteed to have a better, uh, better record against that. But that's, that's the path. It's easier for the Orioles. On fan graphs, which keeps track of the coming strength of schedule, the Orioles team average winning percentage of opponents is 493. For the Rays, it is 505. But a lot of that difference is going to be made within the next 12 games where the Orioles are playing the Athletics, the Rockies, and the White Sox with a series against the Jays thrown in. So that's really where they're going to have to make their hay, I think. It's it's going to be a tougher road if the Orioles end up throwing out a uh, disappointing series against one of these three coming bad teams. I think that they're going to need to go 7-5 and five for the rest of August at a minimum, 
Hopefully they can find their way into a sweep against one of the uh, three bad teams that are coming up in the next four series. That's what I would like to see, but seven or five at a minimum, that would get them 81 wins heading into the month of September, which I think would be a pretty good place to be. Not the best possible place, obviously. You know, if they go 12-0 and over these 12 games, that's the best, but a reasonable hope is 81 wins at the start of September. The Orioles right now, they're in a place where going 21 and 20 the rest of the way would get them to 95 wins on the season. So that's not bad. In fact, you got to wonder what does 95 wins get him? Well, maybe it gets him the AL East and a first round by not having to deal with the best of three wildcard round. The Tampa Bay Rays, who are chasing the Orioles, of course, are currently projected for 94 wins on Fangraphs and 93 with the Picota model. The Orioles will hold the tiebreaker on the Rays as long as they are not swept in the four-game series in Baltimore September 14th through 17th. Because unless the Orioles pull way ahead before that series or fall far off the pace uh, before that series, that's going to be the crucial series Probably the most impactful home series at Camden Yards in the regular season since 2012 against the Athletics when the series that started with the Cal Ripken statue game uh, just just felt of the utmost importance. And so if you get 95, I feel at worst you're going to get the wild card one. So you'll be the home team for a best of three versus right now probably the Astros. And, you know... That's that would be okay, but much better to win the division, get the bye. That's what the Orioles need to find a way to do. And, you know, the Rays are facing some headwinds right now. They've lost their best starting pitcher to date as Shane McClanahan, the Baltimore product, does uh, need Tommy John surgery. He's out for the rest of this year and all of next year. And now, uh, Wander Franco, who is the best Rays player by baseball reference, wins above replacement, is on the restricted list. There is a legal investigation against him. You can run that through the search engine of your choice if you'd like to learn uh, more of the scarce details that are available right now. So, I mean, the Rays are really built to plug in the next guy and keep on rolling. That's just what they do. They do it within the course of a season. They do it in between seasons as they trade away guys and just keep getting, you know, the next guy looks good. That's how they do it. But even so, I think this is going to be a tough task uh, for them. But, you know, they've got a lot of good players. They have a great offense that remains, even if you entirely remove Franco from the picture for the rest of the season. There are seven other batters on the team with an OPS of 750 or better. And the back end of their bullpen is pretty good as well. So, yeah, I mean, we cannot just say, okay, the Rays have lost McClanahan and have maybe lost Franco for the rest of the year, and who knows how long beyond that. So they're done. They're not done. It's not that easy to just write them off. And, I mean, one reason why you can't is they did go out and get a player at the trade deadline. They acquired starting pitcher Aaron Civilly, from the Cleveland Guardians, who has a 2.93 ERA through his first three starts with the Rays. That is certainly a lot better than the Orioles trade acquisition, Jack Flaherty. And the uh, the, the Rays got civilly in a one-for-one trade with the Guardians. They sent 
the current number 62 prospect on MLB Pipeline's just updated top 100 to the Guardians. That is first baseman Kyle Manzardo. Manzardo had a 1.043 OPS between high A and double A last year. So I think that's what uh, really inflated his prospect stock. So far through this season, a 783 OPS in 73 games at the AAA level in his age 22 season. Um, You know, that's not as exciting. I think maybe that's a case of Pipeline holding on to a guy whose 2023 performance is not living up to that as much. I don't know. Civilly, however, is 28 years old under team control through 2025. So it's hard not to look at that trade with a little bit of envy. You kind of got to wonder if maybe the Orioles could have beaten that return with, I don't know, Connor Norby in a throw-in for Civilly. Maybe that's being a little bit too much of a homer on my part to think that might have done it. Norby, of course, did drop off the top 100 as his performance in 2023 fell off a little bit as well, although he is outperforming Manzardo at the Tripoli level this season. Um... Of course, and being an Orioles homer, I do have a tendency, I think, to look at the flaws of other teams' prospects more than Orioles' prospects. I don't know, but it looks like the Rays got a a fine pitcher at the trade deadline, and so far, there's no sign that the Orioles' uh, trade acquisition is going to work out so well. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where things go. Uh, In the meantime, it's kind of a shrug emoji comparing the Orioles to the Rays, The Rays, by the way, are playing the Angels this weekend while the Orioles will be playing the Athletics. So the Orioles really, really just need to keep winning and find a way to stay ahead of the Rays. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, so let's dip into our mailbag. We do have a message today from listener Eric, who wrote in to ask some questions about Shintaro Fujinami. He asked, what is your assessment of Fujinami? Is the great stuff worth the high risk and volatility? How do you think the team views him? What would you reasonably project his ceiling and his floor will be the rest of the season? Any chance of trying him as a starting pitcher? Eric, thank you for writing in. I will answer your last question first. Starting pitcher, no. There were disastrous results for that when Fujinami was with the Oakland Athletics. I don't think there's any reason that the Orioles need to try and do that. They've already got a six-man rotation that isn't great necessarily, but is full of guys who have the potential to at least be fine. I don't think they, they need to plug Fuji in there unless something really weird happens that I can't foresee at the moment. Um, As far as what I think of him, I mean, we've seen some great outings from him and we've also seen some horrible ones. So as far as his ceiling, I think he could be a devastating late inning weapon to add to the Orioles mix, but the floor is nuclear disaster area. So what do you get out of that? Is that worth the risk? I mean, 
Mike Elias thought so, I think. That's why the Orioles traded for him, although they didn't have to give up much in trading old for a prospect reliever, Easton Lucas. But, you know, at the time the Orioles traded for Fujinami, Elias's choices for relief were kind of like a then-fading Yenier Cano or Mike Bauman or Brian Baker to throw into the late-inning mix, and that wasn't a great, great set of choices at the time. So it has changed a little bit, I think, because the Orioles got the waiver claim, Jacob Webb, who has now thrown five scoreless innings since joining the Orioles. So I kind of wonder if that's going to be who ends up getting some of the maybe like seventh inning chances that might have been envisioned for Fujinami when the Orioles traded for him. I don't know. I mean, we've seen we've seen the very good of Fujinami and we've seen some very bad. It's hard to explain why the very bad shows up at times. Some people are attributing it to, oh, it's nerves, it's greater pressure. I don't know. I don't like to uh I don't like to put those kinds of motives on players. I think it's just it's a guy with inconsistent uh, mechanics, and that makes it hard for him to harness his raw stuff that is unquestionably good because he's just, uh, he's frequently had problems with his command. You know, even when he was still in Japan in the 2021 season, he uh, issued 61 walks in 87 and two thirds innings when he was pitching for. Uh, the Japanese league's Hanshin Tigers. So, I mean, that's a bad walk rate. That's even before coming to the United States. You know, he uh, he improved that last season. It was down to 33 walks and 107 and a third innings. So, okay, that's definitely a lot better. That's a 3.0 walks per nine against Japanese competition last year. But that's not what he's doing in Major League Baseball so far this year. So, I, I don't know. Fujinami, I don't know. Um, I, I hope whenever he pitches, it's not a disaster, but I'm always going to be a little nervous when he walks in. So, yeah. If you have a question or a comment you'd like to be read on the show, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com, and you can end up in a future mailbag. Thank you again to Eric and to everyone else who's written in so far. So before we wrap up, let's talk a little bit more about the Oakland Athletics, who the Orioles will be facing next they were an absolute laughing stock of baseball at the end of May. They had a 12 and 46 record. That time they were on pace to win just 34 games over the course of the whole season. Things did improve a little bit for them since then. They even pulled off a 7 game winning streak in the month of June, which is kind of amazing. Although on either side of that 7 game winning streak, they had a 5 game losing streak and an 8 game losing streak. So, there you go. That's a bad baseball team. But that said, the Athletics are now on pace to win 46 games, which is still pretty darn bad, but it's not worse than the 1962 Mets level of bad, right? So they're seven, or excuse me, they're four and 10 so far in the month of August. Since the All-Star break, the Athletics have 3.6 runs scored per game while allowing 4.8 runs per game. Not good. The staff has a 5.75 combined ERA for the season, also not good, and the team is hitting a 665 OPS collectively. That's the entire team, which also not good. That said, the Orioles absolutely cannot look past this team, and if the Orioles, I think, cannot come away with a series win, two out of three at least, uh, we should absolutely feel disheartened about how 
the series has gone. So, okay, who is pitching in the series for the Oakland Athletics? At the time I'm recording this podcast, they have not announced any starters. I don't know why that is. Uh, If they stay on turn from the last time through their rotation, the three starting pitchers in the series would be Luis Medina, Ken Waldachuk, and J.P. Sears. Waldachuk and Sears are left-handed starting pitchers, and Medina and Waldachuk are very bad, or at least have been very bad so far this season. A 5.31 ERA so far for Medina, a 6.07 for Waldachuk. Now, let's keep in mind, Waldachuk is a lot better at home with a 4.60 ERA, and he's improved in the second half as well with a 4.61 ERA, though neither of these numbers is good especially the home number when considering you're pitching in the whatever they're calling the Coliseum now before it's abandoned. And Medina also is better at home, which again you would expect for an Oakland pitcher, a 4.39 ERA. But he is showing a much, much better performance through the second half with a 2.70 ERA in the second half. So don't sleep on Luis Medina or Medina if he is one of the pitchers. And then the third guy, J.P. Sears, in terms of his ERA plus, is basically comparable to a Dean Kramer level of pitcher. Now, you may at times be frustrated by Kramer, uh, if you're like me. I, I, I feel like he's a guy where I see the warts more than I see the potential right now. But, you know, Kramer has certainly put together some good games and uh, gotten, as we know, 11 wins, in part because of offensive support, but in part because he's been pretty good in a number of games. And so... Again, the Orioles just can't sleep on this series and think, okay, everybody's bad on Oakland. It's going to be easy to win. It's it's not easy to win against uh, any Major League Baseball team, really. Especially since the Athletics have actually shown some modest improvement for their offense in the second half of the season. They're putting together a 709 OPS in the second half. That's actually 57 points above their split from the first half, with a particularly notable 49-point jump in slugging percentage. So for a brief comparison to the Orioles' offense in the second half, Orioles have had a 40-point drop from their first-half OPS split that is largely fueled by a 25-point drop in their on-base percentage. So in the second half as a team, the Orioles are actually below the Mark Belanger line, which is the 300 on-base percentage that Belanger had for his career is kind of a parallel to the Mendoza line 200 batting average. The Orioles are below a 300 OBP for the second half. They're a 299. That's not good. It's not good. It doesn't matter. You can make a lot of excuses. Ah, oh, they face some good starting pitchers on this West Coast road trip, whatever. Like, if you're below 300 on base percentage for now over a month, it's not good. And they're going to need to do something better than that, you know, the remaining six weeks of the season if they're going to continue to go somewhere good. Because while the Orioles are 74 and 47, they are on pace for 99 wins. They're they're going to need to do better, I think, than the last three, four weeks or whatever um, of hitting performance, especially if they're going to stay anywhere near that kind of pace and stay ahead in the AL East. I think they need to absolutely get two out of three versus Oakland continue to win series against the Rockies and White Sox, maybe get a sweep of one of those series to uh, to pull that off. I don't know. You know, you, you never want to count on a sweep. It's hard, uh, even against teams that are struggling. 
But I mean, the Orioles, they've shown enough talent. They've had enough good performances over the course of 2023 to absolutely believe that they can do that over the next 12 games. And, you know, relevant to this podcast episode over the next weekend, because I'll have other episodes to talk to you about whatever happens in those other series. So they can they can do it. The Orioles can do it. Whatever good thing you want them to do, they can. The question is, uh, will they? Because baseball being baseball, you can never really be sure that any team is going to do anything, whether it's good or bad, uh, in accordance with what is expected of them. So the Orioles are already wildly blowing past expectations. And I think even for once people started adjusting their expectations upward, and especially some of the models started thinking, okay, maybe this is like a 500 team instead of the uh, the 74 wins or whatever they thought before the season. They've still been blowing past that. So that's good, but they're going to have to keep blowing past the expectations because, again, I mean, now on the Fangraph's projected rest of season model, the Orioles are uh, they're projected to go um, 20 and 21 the rest of the season. And I don't think that's going to win them the AL East. I think that it would be very good for them to do better than that, get the bye, don't have to worry about the best of three. That's what I want them to do. It doesn't mean they will. What I want, uh, you know, it doesn't matter at all as far as what the Orioles do. But that's that's what needs to happen. We'll see. For now, three games against the Athletics. Please, pretty please, Orioles, win two out of three, maybe even find a way to sweep. That's my hope. But that's all that I've got for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating, review, or comment, and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes will be out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will be back with you on Monday, hopefully with three awesome games against the Oakland Athletics to talk about. In between now and then, you can leave a comment for me on CamdenChat.com. You will find me there in the comment section with the name Eat More SK. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.